This week on Life and Faith. Life is not made of straight lines. Nothing in nature has straight lines. It has a curve, it has a kink, it has a twist. And you realize, my goodness, here I am expecting life to go from point A to point B in a nice straight line. <laughs> no, there's going to be all sorts of kinks and twists. People that don't forgive themselves tend to harm themselves. So the sun would set at the end of May and not come back to mid-August. Actually, what if it's the most boring thing in the world? No one comes out of history with clean hands. It's a very messy process. This is Life and Faith from CPX. Welcome to our first episode for 2023. I'm Simon Smart. And I'm Natasha Moore. And as we kick off another year, maybe you're excited, maybe a little weary or perhaps apprehensive, we're thinking about plans today. The plans we make for our lives, our hopes and our dreams, and how they certainly don't always work out the way we want them to. Have you made plans yet for this year, Simon? Have you made any New Year's resolutions, things of that kind? Yeah, not really. I, I don't make New Year's resolutions, but I do make plans. So yes, I'm making plans and I've got hopes for the year. And, you know, I actually have this sort of ritual where I unwrap my diary for the year mm. at the start. And I'm kind of... All about the paper diary. I've yeah. had mine since November, Simon. What you... <laughs> well, I've had it for a while too, but I don't get it ready until mm. now. I've had it this week. I've been back from holidays and I've been sort of laying it out and plotting onto the year the things that I at least think are going to happen, <laughs> you know, things that are locked Want into the happen. diary and, and that yep. sort of thing. So I do that. Um, hmm. What about you? Do you make resolutions? Well, this year I basically have made one in a half-hearted kind of way, okay. which is to get up early in 2023. <laughs> Not right. more specific than that. I think I know in my heart whether I'm getting up early or whether I'm mm. being lazy. So no specific times to that or anything. Well, I've reached an age, I'm afraid to say, where I don't have any choice. I just wake up early. Well, this is a well, shock to me. Well, you are a surfer. I don't well, know if that's just I age. Know, I feel like that's habit. Up until very recently, I've woken like Tutankhamun being resurrected <laughs> when the alarm goes off. And now I'm just waking up. This is a very disturbing development. Well, maybe I should save this resolution. It'll come. Another <laughs> It'll 10 come years. You'll, you'll actually hold to this one. Anyway, even with smaller scale plans and resolutions like these that we're being a bit flippant about, we're, we're really aware, aren't we, after the last few years, that the plans we make, we can make them if we like, but they're pretty fragile. Yeah. Life tends to throw us lots of curveballs, and we don't really know what will happen even tomorrow. Absolutely. Now, quite a few years back, I, I had a conversation, and you can go back and watch the videos on our website if you'd like to. A uh, conversation with the writer and broadcaster Sheridan Voisey about his book, Resurrection Year. And that book was about him and his wife, Meryn's broken dreams, actually, of having children and how those broken dreams can turn into new beginnings. It's a great book. Now, at the time Sheridan and Meryn were about to move to the UK to start a new chapter in their lives, and in a really unexpected twist to their story, that happened to put them in exactly the right place at Oxford at the right time, 2020, for Marin to be one of the lead researchers on the AstraZeneca vaccine. It's amazing, Yeah, actually. this is fascinating. Sheridan has continued to write about this stuff since moving to the UK. Uh, in 2019, he published a book called The Making of Us, 
who we can become when life doesn't go as planned. Um, I figured that we could all use a bit of wisdom <laughs> on that topic, given the shakeups and the setbacks of the last few years. So I called him up to ask all my burning questions about life, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should say here before we dive in that in some parts of this interview, there is a quite vocal dog in the background of my recording. Sorry about that, everyone. Hope it's not too distracting. Well, that might be the hazards of recording at your home studio, Natasha. That's uh, right. Natasha brings you this interview with Sheridan, but we'll let him introduce himself. Here he is. Well, I'm Sheridan Voisey, and I mainly spend my time in a little office in Oxford, writing books, trying to sort out a big friendship project that I'm working on about adult friendship, and doing some radio on BBC Radio 2 and other international networks. Ah, that radio voice. Um, well, it sounds like a dream. <laughs> it's been a long-term dream, actually. Um, so I, I can think of going back into the 90s and sitting on my bed back in 1995, maybe even being earlier, and kind of writing these things down in my journal. This is what I'd love to be. I'd love to be a writer, speaker, and broadcaster. And then probably that year or maybe the year afterwards, I was sitting by the Brisbane River and had this dream for this nationally syndicated radio show that would explore life, faith and culture. And uh, we would do it uh, maybe once a week or something, but, you know, every maybe Sunday night and we would uh, attract a, a really broad audience of people who believed in God and didn't believe in God and weren't too sure if they believed in God. And we would have live music and we would have people calling in. And, and that was the beginning of a radio program called Open House. The momentum grew with the radio show, Sheridan's writing and speaking at conferences, which sounds like everything going to plan, you know, tick, tick, tick. And yet he's ended up writing more than one book about life not going to plan. So for 10 years, my wife and I had kind of two dreams that were almost, well, we were hoping would unfold almost in unison. And one was that 10 year dream of that radio show. And that took 10 years and it came to fruition. At the same time, there was also this 10-year dream. It turned out we never knew it was going to take that long for us to have a family. And I can take you back to a conversation in a kitchen in the year 2000 where Meryn and I had made that decision. We were married about five years by that stage, so we were settled. We weren't moving from city to city like we had been in the previous years. And it was the right time to start a family. And like any couple in that situation, you kind of just expect that, okay, the first month, oh, it probably won't happen. That's just kind of typical, isn't it? And second month, oh, it's probably not going to happen. But the third month, well, maybe we've got good news by then. Uh, well, for us, the fourth month came around and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth, and we got some tests done. And the tests revealed that there was a significant problem on my side and that without some kind of either supernatural intervention or technological assistance, our dreamt-of child was going to be very difficult to have. And that began what became a 10-year journey of trying almost everything to get our child. I mean, we tried special diets. <laughs> if you want to make some money, come up with a new diet. Uh, we tried all of those. We tried special supplements. For a while, I was taking you know big doses of zinc because that was supposed to be good for sperm count. We tried healing prayer numerous times, and we had some profound moments, actually, as a result of that. 
We tried IVF for the first time in 2006 after wrestling with the ethics as to whether this was an okay thing to do. We looked into adoption. We went through eight months of assessment as potential adoptive couple. And then we waited for two years once we were accepted, two years for that phone call to come saying your little boy, your little girl is now ready. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. And so by the end of that 10 years, we were coming up to December of 2010. We'd gone back to do some final rounds of IVF thinking, okay, we'll do as many rounds as it takes this time. Just we'll keep on doing it until it works. And you can only do that for so long because anybody who has gone through IVF knows the extreme load that it places on the woman because of the drugs involved. It was difficult on a marriage. It was difficult on so many different things. And so we made this decision, okay, we've got one embryo left to transfer. If this doesn't work, we're going to walk on in life as a childless couple. And would you believe, Natasha, it was on that very last embryo that we received this phone call from the IVF clinic saying all the hormone levels are exactly where we'd expect them to be for a pregnancy. And there was jubilation amongst our family and friends who had walked with us for this decade trying to have a child. Finally, Sheridan and Merrin, finally, after all these years, your prayers have been answered at the 11th hour. You're going to have a baby. And then on Christmas Eve of 2010, we had a phone call from that very same lady nurse at the IVF clinic saying, I'm so sorry, but you're not pregnant. The IVF drugs had created a gestational sac, but there was no body in the sac. And at that point, Marin put the phone down, walked into the bedroom, curled up in a fetal position, because that's where the dream had, had ended. That's what ultimately led us to come to the UK. Marin mm. needed a new beginning, and uh, she got offered a job at a little university you might have heard of called Oxford University. Mm, and we saw familiar. that as a good opportunity for um, her to have the new beginning that she needed. And so we packed up and we moved over here in 2011. You wrote The Making of Us. It came out in 2019 about how we can be shaped by these life plans that don't go the way we thought they would. And we've all had kind of more experience since 2019 of what it is to have plans cancelled, to have life go off course. I wonder, maybe an existential question here. Um, there's this great Damon Runyon quote, which runs, I long ago came to the conclusion that all life is six to five against, you know, things are more likely to go wrong than they are to go right. And I wonder looking back on kind of what have been a lot of fulfilled dreams for you and for Marin and a lot of, you know, disappointments as well. Do you have a sense of like life mostly goes to plan? Life mostly doesn't go to plan. Great question. I don't think I would land on six to five against. <laughs> I think the odds can be a little better. But here's the problem with any measurement is the fact that you and I can both probably point to people that we know in our lives around us for whom it has been six to five against. And for other people for whom life has simply gone perfectly, I remember speaking to a board of very successful people and one of them just said, you know what, Sheridan, I have no idea what you're talking about because my life has gone very, very well. I've got a beautiful mm. wife. I've got wonderful kids. They're all kind of walking uh, on the same track and on the right track. My job has just gone from success to success to success. And it was one of the first times that I've been stumped for words. 
<laughs> did not know what to wow. say. Part of me wanted to say, well, enjoy this while you've got it. <laughs> yeah. Because something has gone wrong. For most of us, by the time we reach our 40s, or certainly by the time we reach our 50s, something in our life has not gone as planned. Either we haven't got married and we wanted to, or like us, you haven't been able to have kids when you've wanted to, and you've tried everything, and maybe it still hasn't worked. Maybe you've been able to adopt, and then you've had difficulties there. Maybe it's been a career that you've really longed to have, and you haven't been able to achieve it, or you've got the dream, and then you've lost it. Most of us have. So I'm not too sure how we measure that, because it really comes down to person by person. And all the great existential wrestling with that question often is all about that problematic equation. Mm. I mean, the book of Job in the Old Testament is classic at that. The classic equation went, if you live a good life, God is morally obliged to give you a good life. If you're morally good, you will live a good, successful life. And that whole book is wrestling with the fact you've got a really good man here is morally good, and actually life goes completely wrong for him. How do we deal with that? I think most of us will experience some aspect of a broken dream. And so we have to prepare for that. But I also would say that handled the right way, it can actually be something that can turn around and be redeemed, recycled into something that uh, can be of great benefit to other people. One really interesting development, I think, in your story, yours and Marin's, even since you wrote this book, The Making of Us, is that, of course, Marin has ended up being very closely involved in the development of the AstraZeneca vaccine against COVID, working in Oxford, which I presume was something that wouldn't have happened had Plan A come to fruition. You know, it's tempting to kind of go, look, she was in the right place at the right time to do this amazing thing. Um, But I can understand how it might also be, you know, dangerous to kind of go, oh, this is, you wouldn't say the reason why, but look at this purpose or meaning or, you know, you kind of gave up this 10-year dream and 10 years later there's a dream that was fulfilled for her. Does that kind of Mm -hmm. um, thread, does that change? Does that reinforce how you feel about those twists and turns? It really does for me. I look back at that and giving up what was going well in Sydney was really difficult for me personally. But if you have held your wife sobbing, for months on end every night and you feel like you're the cause of it so remember the problem was on my side there is that sense in which you want to do whatever you can to give your wife the new beginning that she needs there's a wonderful proverb proverbs 13 11 <laughs> hope deferred makes the heart sick and gosh we now know that when that hope is deferred and deferred and deferred and another month and another month and another month and you don't get what you desperately want your heart can really become sick you try that for 10 years But there's a second part to that proverb that we often forget. And the second part goes, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, it doesn't mean the same dream. It can actually be a different one. And the only other thing that Merrin had wanted to become back then, other than become a mum, was to live and work overseas. So when the opportunity at Oxford came up, it, to some degree, it was a no-brainer, but it wasn't a no-hearter. I probably grieved the loss, particularly of the radio show Open House, easily five or six years, almost every day, most weeks just feeling, oh, I was meant to be on air, and I'm not. Mm. But then we come to the UK. Merrin is involved in medical statistics. Within a couple of years, she starts focusing very much on vaccines. 
And then she finds herself in this position where she then becomes the lead statistician on the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. She was the first person in the world to know that it worked because it was her and her colleague who crunched the numbers. She was the one who came up with the 70% success rate, which then went to her boss, which then went to the prime minister, which then went to the rest of the world. It was a profound moment. And the last estimates we have as a result of just that one vaccine, let alone the others that are out there, just that one vaccine, and I know this is already out of date, is that it saved 6 million lives and averted 50 million hospitalizations. That is profound. So I do see profound meaning in that. Is it the only meaning that can be found in it? I'm not too sure. Is it the reason why we weren't to continue on in Sydney having a family? Or, or Many people were able to do wonderful contributions with children. And maybe we still would have made our way to Oxford. I doubt it very, very much. I think it's very fairly clear to say. I don't think we would have been in Oxford if it hadn't been for us not having kids. So all of those things do link up for me. And I kind of go, wow. And as many people have said, you know, there almost needs to be another chapter at the end of resurrection year to connect back to what has happened in this last couple of years, because I think it is a part of the story. It's a part of the story. I believe it's a very redemptive part of the story. Is it the reason? I'm not too sure. life and faith and here at the beginning of another year we're thinking about the plans that we make for our lives and what happens when they don't go the way we want them to. Natasha is speaking with Sheridan Voisey. Your book is partly a pilgrim's journal. Um, You were going on a literal pilgrimage walking while processing all this stuff and it made me think of um, there's an old saying I think it's credited to Augustine in Latin it's solvatur ambulando it's solved by walking. I wonder, would you recommend walking as a way of dealing with our kind of disappointments and struggles in life? Oh, I really would. There is something profound about going on a pilgrimage. You can start off with just a half day. So I did one not long ago, and I walked just down to a place called Abingdon from Oxford. You know, it was maybe four hours walk, and it was just done in an afternoon. You can stop at moments along the way, and you can journal. Just simply write down what's going through your mind and your heart. Just write it down. Don't have to have answers to it. It can just be a question maybe that you're wrestling with. Just write it down. You can be open to the beauty of the creation around you. There is something in which when you go on a pilgrimage, you get out of your everyday existence. You're placed into uh, what you know sociologists will call a liminal space that you know you don't know exactly what is required of you in this moment. Whereas when you're sitting at home, you do. So you go out, you put yourself in a place of adventure, really, even if it's just a walk down the road. And especially if you're able to do one over a couple of days, maybe more, The Making of Us covers one that we did over uh, nine or 10 days, I think. And there is something in which all of these things in the soul come up to the surface of the soul that you're wrestling with, the big questions, The doubts, those regrets, all of those kinds of things, they can come up. Then they're given an opportunity to be skimmed off, to be brought out of the darkness and into the light. There is something in which when you're on a pilgrimage, you realize that life is not made of straight lines. Nothing in nature has straight lines. It's a human-created invention is the perfectly straight line. All else in creation has a curve. It has a 
kink. It has a twist. And you realize, my goodness, here I am expecting life to go from point A to point B in a nice straight line. (laughs) No, there's going to be all sorts of kinks and twists. Pilgrimage is wonderful to remind you about that. And indeed, I believe there's an opportunity, particularly if you're open to it, that you can find that there is another one walking alongside you when you're on pilgrimage. And there's a quiet voice maybe whispering to you, uh, suggesting new ways. Maybe how about we take a left instead of a right? Uh, How about that question that you're wrestling with we spend a bit of time on and and see where it can lead you? Really, it can be a wonderful place to encounter creation, uh, nature, beauty, wrestle with your own big questions, find yourself, and indeed bump into God. One of the things about if life is meaningful, and particularly if there's a God who has plans for you, it means that we can take what happens to us and kind of make stories out of them. And we do do that, right? Like it's a very human impulse to even the unwanted things, the unplanned things, the unexpected things to then look back on them and go, oh, this was, this was the path all along and making meaning out of that. Is that whether you believe in God or not is trying to like discern that story. Like, is that kind of mainly an illusion or else kind of a fool's errand where we're, you know, we think we can discern what the thread is. Mm. Yes. This narrative approach to making meaning out of life, I think has a lot to be said for it. And whenever I read some of the philosophical reflection about that kind of narrative meaning making, I really resonate a lot with it. Because as humans in time and space, well, everything that we do is a story. There is a beginning, a middle, an end. There's another chapter, beginning, middle, and end. There's a, an entire book with all those beginning, middles, and ends kind of linked end to end. And so I think that there is something very powerful about that. The little bit of grit that hopefully will produce the pearl for me is the fact that, again, if you are going through a really difficult time, And now it's up to you to try and redeem the story, (laughs) to rewrite the story, or try and squeeze some meaning out of what you've gone through. My goodness, for some people, that is very, very difficult. I know some people with long-term chronic illnesses, and gosh, it's just hard just to make it through the day. I know know a woman, she's got a very rare condition where ultimately um, her bones fall out of joint overnight. So in the morning, she has to kind of almost piece back together, uh, put her arm back into the socket and put some of her ribs back into place. Um, She has to have 24-hour care. To go and craft a story that somehow makes sense of that, that's a very, very difficult thing. But for me as a person of faith, I'm not left to do that meaning-making alone. Now, I don't want to rush to this whole idea that it was all very simple, Natasha. I don't want to then go and say, oh, well, I realized that God always was good and there was a good and perfect plan for us for not having kids. Merrin would say to you straight away that she would not say there is a reason why we haven't had kids, that she can easily point to it. Oh, that's the reason why. I think it's a difficult thing and there can be some mystery involved here. I'm currently reading my way through the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, this amazing piece of wisdom literature, and it is constantly challenging this idea (laughs) that, you know, if you just think hard enough and you rewrite the story well enough, then it'll all make sense. Actually, there is some mystery here, but it still comes down to some wonderful ideas. Explore the meaning of this moment. Go deep into this very moment and recognize that there is a God who's still active, even if you can't work out everything that he's doing. Mm. So in our story, 
what we've been able to see is by handing that childlessness over to God, we've been able to then see him do something powerful through it, which I had thought theoretically was true in the past, but over the last 10 years have then seen it practically and experientially. So the first book to tell our story was a book called Resurrection Year, and that told our infertility story in more detail. And that book connected with so many people beyond infertility, which was really interesting. Again, the woman who'd never been able to get married, the man who'd never been able to get married, the couple that had gone through a divorce, the people who had lost dreams for careers and things like that. And we saw that then what happened is that with God entering into their story, they were able to say, ah, there is still hope. Not necessarily hope for the thing that I'm wanting, but hope that actually in this moment, something new can come about. Then the making of us took that idea further because I kept on hearing from these people all around the world. I mean, I've got hundreds, hundreds of stories now that people have sent me. And these two big questions kept on coming up. Now that this has happened, whatever it is, who am I and what am I supposed to do in this world? Identity and purpose. And so I was wrestling with that myself when we came over here to the UK. I left everything that was going well for me. That decade had resulted in all sorts of wonderful, fulfilled dreams for me career-wise And then when I came here, there was a couple of years where the phone just was not ringing. And I wasn't too sure. I'm not a father. And a writer, speaker, broadcaster is looking pretty shaky now too. So who are you, Sheridan? And what are you here to do? I was asking those two questions as well. If you are only left to your own resources, only left to your own thinking, only left to your own creative writing endeavors to rewrite that story to make it meaningful, that would be an extra burden. But I can call on God And even if it takes a little while, see that something new can flourish. And indeed, it has. That's what we've seen, is that people have been able to start again, start their life again, find hope again, be able to move forward into new dreams and possibilities they never even had before because they were so fixated on the one thing that they didn't get. So there's a lot of people that these kinds of ideas and struggles might apply to in different ways. I wonder, what would you say to these different kinds of people, what counsel might you give firstly to young people who might be like, I actually, I don't, I don't really know what my dream is. I don't know where my life is going. Well, first thing I would say is uh, the pressure to have a dream for your life probably comes a lot more from uh, Walt Disney (laughs) than from anything else. Mm -hmm. And so don't worry if you haven't quite have got that dream for your life. Um, There's a whole heap of ways to have a very deeply meaningful, fulfilling, flourishing life that is generative to the people around you without actually necessarily having those big goals in the future. What I would love to give you is a couple of verses from Scripture that have become so, so pivotal for me. And that's found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul really gives probably the, the ultimate guide for finding your meaning and purpose in life. He says, Follow God's example as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. And in context, follow God's example really means become a person of virtue, follow God's nature and character, uh, goodness and forgiveness and mercy and agency. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. This is the one that I've gone really deep into, Natasha, because I knew about this idea that as a Christian, I am a child of God. But when I lost those identities for a period of time, I discovered how much it had gone down deep into my soul. (laughs) And this is the wonderful offer that the Christian faith gives, is that you are not based 
only on career or parental and marital choice. And this is what the basic, the, our Western world really focuses identity down to primarily is career and um, your parental status. Uh, no, there's actually an identity that will last beyond any of those things working or not working. And that's a fact you can be a dearly loved child of God. You can find all your sense of security and acceptance in that. And that will give you the power to flourish with whatever you do and indeed to face failure with whatever you do as well in the future. And the final one, walk in the way of love. That is to be the great river out of to which all the streams of life flow, um, whether it be your career, whether it be your hobbies, whether it be your relationship with your friends, your family. Love is to be the essence. You walk in the way of love and I do not believe you will have a meaningless day in your life. So follow God's example as dearly loved children walk in the way of love. Live that out and you'll live a flourishing life. What about uh, someone who is at a significant crossroads, who's trying to make a big life decision? I think what happens when you're at that crossroads is you're always asking a question, what if? What if we don't try IVF one more time? Maybe that was the time that worked. What if we don't wait one more week for that phone call to come before we bring things to a close with the adoption agency? Maybe that was the week the phone call was going to come. What if I don't try that one last singles group? Because maybe Mr. Wright, Mrs. Wright is going to be there. And I think that would be the first thing I would say is uh, really put those what if questions aside because you do not know what the future holds. And there can be a real sense of trust here, particularly if you're a person of faith. Trust that even if you choose path A and God wants you on path B, this idea, well, I've chosen the wrong path. Oh, my goodness. You know what? He's clever enough to get you onto path B anyway. So walk forward. Ask, seek, knock, and trust that as you ask and as you seek and as you knock on doors, that the right doors will open, others will close. And uh, in time, you'll actually be into the place that you need to be. And what about someone who has lived quite a bit of their life, maybe most of their life, and looks back and goes, I regret this or I regret not doing that or, you know, it's just, you know, a struggle for me that this thing never happened. Um, what mm. would you say to them? Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because those things can weigh on our minds. Um, if I'd made this decision further back, if I had chosen this, if I'd gone ahead with this plan, um, things might be different. They might. They may not. Again, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is wonderful. You do not know. And the dream in your mind and the little creation of how life would have been if you had made that decision back then, ultimately, it's a wonderful creation of your mind and your imagination. You do not know. Best thing is to do is to focus on what we have now and where you are at this point and to focus on future regret instead of past regret. This is actually really practically helpful. If I was to die tomorrow, what would I regret having not done or at least attempted? This one little question has proven to be so generative because when I asked myself this question a few years ago, it brought all sorts of things to mind. I would like a better relationship with some members in my family. I would like to make sure that all of those hundreds of photos 
that is my hobby, photography is my hobby, there's hundreds of photos that are currently sitting on my hard drive. Nobody's seen them. I would hate for those to just basically die. I would like those to get out there. I would like to pursue and try to write that book. Or for you, it might be some sort of project that you've longed to do. You don't have to achieve it, but you do have to attempt it. So focus on the next few years ahead and say, what would I like to at least give an attempt to so that I don't have any future regrets? And finally, what about someone who maybe likes that idea of God having a plan for them, of life having, you know, a meaning and a purpose, but they aren't sure that they believe in God? Yeah, I think that's a really important place to be in, is uh, we're not too sure. We need to be honest and open with that state and recognize uh what is the one thing that's holding me back? And are there actually viable answers to some of those things that I can at least intellectually explore? And this podcast would be the ultimate first start in terms of uh, finding out some answers. You've done so much exploration, this kind of wise and open-hearted exploration as to where these kinds of answers could come from. And secondly, I think I'd go back to where we've touched on in the previous conversation. If it's only left to you, Are you going to be any better a week, a month, 10 years from now? But if there is one who is bigger and more powerful and is indeed a God of overwhelming, overflowing tears coming to the eyes, love, who can walk into your situation now and who can recycle it into a way that otherwise you never would would even be able to imagine, is that not worth exploring? Follow God's example as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. The Apostle Paul says, one more little thing, if I could just throw it in, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus' death is the ultimate example of God being able to take the rough and the horrible in this world and redeem it and recycle it into something powerful and new. Because that death didn't end there, it actually resulted in resurrection. And I believe that's more than a symbol. I believe that actually happened historically, actually in the flesh. That means that he can walk into, and in fact it's his specialty to walk into our lives and to take these moments and actually to bring something completely different and new and fresh out of them. A kind of beauty that you can never get if things had gone well in the first place. That would be my encouragement. This has been the first episode of Life and Faith for 2023 with me, Simon Smart, and Natasha Moore. Our producer is the indefatigable Alan Douthwaite. If this episode was especially relevant for you, you can think more about these things by checking out Sheridan Voysey's books Resurrection Year and The Making of Us. He's written several others as well on various topics. And if you know someone who's wrestling at the moment with this sense of life, you know, not turning out how they expected, and you found what Sheridan said helpful, then why not send them a link to the episode? Also, do make sure to subscribe yourself to The Life and Faith on your podcast app so that you don't miss any of the episodes that we've got planned for you this year. Next week. The sun is shining today. I don't have to worry about electricity very much because we get it from the sun. And there's a wonderful feeling when the tanks are filling up and like I can take a really long shower. I wasn't expecting that. And it's something I've really enjoyed about living off grid is the sense of being connected to a wider design.